1: Uh, I was quoted as saying, and have been saying since then, your privacy is over. From 1995 on, just get used to it. Because everyone, every service that you use is highly incented to figure out everything else about your life at all times. Now, yes, the government always knew for the last 50 years when you bought an airplane ticket and when you flew somewhere. If they really wanted to know, the FBI could know in 10 minutes. It was not a big deal. So so we granted that ability for a government to figure that out anyway. But now we've got private companies that for the last 20 plus years uh, know everything about you.
0: I've got... Kevin Sarais with me, one of the, I will say, Kevin, one of the world's experts on AI, and we're going to discuss what to expect and what's going to surprise us in artificial intelligence over the next year, what you should be thinking about in terms of artificial intelligence. And, Kevin, my first question is, is, I want to find out more about your background and stuff, but uh, is China just going to destroy us because they have no ethical qualms about taking this to the edge?
1: (laughs) Well... Uh, uh, look, China it, it has, has some amazing programs around AI. They have figured out uh, long before I think our government uh, uh, that uh, they got a lead in this space. And, and, and China has led in other things. Of course, uh, solar panels, they just decided they were going to own it. They do. Um, LED lighting, they decided they were going to own it. They do. And when they put, when, when the government puts their head to it in China, um, they just own it. They're gonna own it lock stock and burst. Yeah.
0: Sorry, look look at like genomics, for instance, right? So so this is an area where we have ethical issues, correctly or incorrectly, but there's also science that needs to be innovated. And once you innovated science, it's gonna have enormous ramifications on the entire universe of healthcare. And China just doesn't give a shit. So they'll do whatever. They'll clone five million babies and then, uh, kill four million nine hundred thousand of them and just keep the smartest. You know, I'm just making this up. Yeah, but- you're
1: right. Look, I, I have a view here. Once, once CRISPR was 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 out, right? Once people understood it, and and this was, you know, it, it's widely published how one does this, right? But once gene editing, for example, was out of the bag, it is a given that some countries or some labs somewhere. We'll do things that we are not going to do in the United States, either ethically, morally, uh, uh, legally, whatever the case is. Right. They are going to engineer babies. They're going to mix DNA from different species. They're going to do things just to figure out what happens. They are. Yeah. And China's and doing it. Yes. China seems willing to do it. I am less worried about China. I mean, China's going to do some interesting things. And we're going to learn from that uh, uh, as they already have. Right. They've engineered babies. They're very clear about that. But, but but what I worry about uh, are actually really bad actors. They're sort of a bad actor, but in the end, you know, they need our economy and they don't want to blow everything up, right? But you've got people like North Korea, right, and, and Iran that are truly bad actors. Now, they may have and probably do have the capability in some labs to do some things with CRISPR that are really dangerous, like, like, like engineering... Uh, uh, you know, a, a a bug that uh uh you know you can never kill or 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 um you know reproduces at an immense rate. I mean, they could do some really really bad things. Uh, and and so uh, let alone just human genomics, right? So I'd be more concerned about the true bad actors, including Al Qaeda, ISIS, blah blah blah, as these technologies become more available. Look, uh, when you look at nuclear weapons, we we kind us in just a few countries kind of kept nuclear weapons under wraps as a secret, you know, in terms of how to really make them for more than 50 years.
0: That's a hell. Of but that's long- because because the resources are rare too. Like yeah. uranium, you know uh, that kind of uranium is rare.
1: It, it it's rare, but but still, you know, it it turned out it was hard to make one as a third world country until recently, until the last decade or two. And enough of the secrets got out. In other words, you can't keep anything a secret forever. That that's a right. That's 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 the learning here. And you can't keep CRISPR a secret. It's been around for a decade. People know how to do it. Every lab's experimenting with it. They're doing gene editing. And we're gonna, you know, the world is gonna make some bad things, including some really gross, crazy things. And look, in, in China and others are experimenting with, you know, could we make superhumans? You know, what genes yes. edit to make superhumans? And, 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 you know, what's gonna happen to the gene pool when you do that? Um, you know, in the past, when we played these games, really bad things happened. We played them with animals, as you know, bad things happen. You get a super animal, but it dies in a week, right? <laughs> Something's wrong. But but here's
0: here here's where AI comes in. So you have you know mapping the human genome, and we understand you know single gene mutations and how CRISPR can you know or enhanced CRISPR can can um, solve these single gene uh, diseases like right. Tay-Sachs disease and so on. That but was- with deep learning and AI, you're going to be able to map all the permutations, multiple gene, you know, mutations, which ones cause intelligence, which ones cause all these weird diseases, whatever. And that's where AI kind of comes in. And again, China has no qualms about researching it all.
1: Look, it's a big data problem and any big data problem, uh, provided it's not noisy. And I think DNA is not, I think the genes are not, I think, I think there's some noise, but I think it's very consistent, at least the human gene pool and, and, uh, the human genome. And I think that, uh, uh, people are already using AI to figure out more and more. You know what? What? What buttons do we push to get a super intelligent, very strong, tall human, right? Uh, or, or you know, the perfect looking human, whatever that means today, right? In people's eyes, I need that one. Yeah, yeah, we all need that. I <laughs> or, or a human that lives two hundred years. <clears throat> right? Could we do that? Could we turn off the, you know, the, the telomere thing? Well, maybe, I don't, I don't know. And is that good? Should humans, should humans live 200 years? Well, here's what's going to happen. I'll give you one prediction. Like every other technology, what's going to happen is the really, really good stuff that is useful to you will be available to those with money. And it's going to further separate those with money from those who don't have it because, okay, right. They will get access to things that they shouldn't have access to.
0: Now I sort of agree I, uh, Yuval Harari who wrote Sapiens and 21 Problems for the 21st Century he feels the the same way but my feeling is you know it's just like computers that you know when techn- when you have an industry that 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 grows exponentially all right yes rich people had a supercomputer for a year or two years but then they became smartphones 3 years later technology improved so fast and you know, then everybody gets it.
1: Yeah, look, that's certainly been true with the rapid adoption of technology, which doesn't take uh, decades anymore. Or even the old rule was eleven years, right? It takes about eleven minutes now. However, things like CRISPR that have to be done very specific gene editing that have to be done in a specific kind of lab, um, while the cost may come down, just like uh, uh, you know, gene sequencing, the cost has come down; it's heading to zero. Um, you know, there's just certain things that will be available to. Uh, you know, to those who have wealth, I suspect, for a, a period of time, because it involves a lot of steps. And it may involve, you know, labs overseas, can't do it in the US, blah, 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 right? It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We're going to learn a lot from the experiments in China. I have a feeling um, not all will be kept under wraps, right? And, and, and by the way, we could go way back in history, right? I mean, back even to Germany, you know, Nazi Germany that was doing it wasn't at this level because they didn't have CRISPR, but of course they were trying to make superhumans um, through very, very, very simple means. But nevertheless, they you know they had multiple experiments doing it. There, these this has been going on for you know almost a hundred years.
0: So you know the other uh, big, not issue with AI, but uh, again, uh, people I, I sometimes people bring up privacy too much, but definitely with. Uh, advanced facial recognition, the whole privacy thing is just going to be a matter of policy rather than a matter of technology. You know, Not only government policy, but Facebook's policy, Google's policy, and so on. Again, China having no qualms, they're going to be like the best spies in the world. They're going to know where everybody is at every moment. Absolutely.
1: Uh, uh, look, I, in in 1995, and you know, I, I speak around the world a lot on AI and, and its impact on society. It's a But from 1995 on, basically when the web browser became popular, uh, I was quoted as saying and have been saying since then, your privacy is over. From 1995 on, just get used to it. Because everyone, every service that you use is highly incented to figure out everything else about your life at all times. Now, yes, the government always knew for the last 50 years, When you bought an airplane ticket and when you flew somewhere if they really wanted to know the fbi could know in 10 minutes it was not a big deal so so we granted that ability for a government to figure that out anyway but now we've got private companies that for the last 20 plus years uh know everything about you and i'll give you an example and i think you know this but but maybe not all your listeners do try this at home sometime if you're married you got to be married to do it so the, the the person you're married to have them start to look at I'm you know something you know trips to South Africa. Just go over there and look at trips to South Africa and look at a bunch of com- tourist companies and just do a bunch of stuff on that. I can guarantee you that with, within an hour and maybe within ten minutes on Facebook, you not being that person over there, but related to that person, start to see ads for trips to South Africa. I can guarantee it because I've seen uh, it here over and over and over again.
0: I believe you. Now here's a question some, and, and maybe I'm just, um, I, uh, I forgot what it's called some kind of bias. I'm just, uh, like the, what's called the Honda effect. Once I buy a Honda, I start seeing Hondas. Sure. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm talking about trips to South Africa with my wife, and then I start to see the ads. How likely is, is that already happening? Uh,
1: uh, it, it's, it's probably not happening. Uh, it is because talking on your phone is, is, uh, you know, it can be monitored, but it's really not being monitored. There's, there's, it may be monitored by the government, but it's not being monitored by anyone that is going to do anything uh, to feed you ads. Um, now, now, yes, you know, Alexa listens, but no, they're not feeding that to some massive supercomputer that's analyzing the words and trying to feed you ads at, at this time. Could they? Yeah, sure, but they're the not. Technolo-
0: that's the thing. The technology is there. It would be sure. sort of
1: trivial with the technology we have. Oh, but it, it just turn it on. I mean, it, you know, yeah. so, so uh, you may not know, but I um, invented long before there was Siri, I invented uh, uh, the first uh, uh, personal assistant, digital assistant. Um, her name was Mary. The project was called Portico. It was for General Magic, actually, ultimately, oh, yeah. uh, became uh, uh, owned by General Motors uh, for uh, OnStar Virtual Advisor. But uh, the first virtual assistant, I have all the original patents and all those patents got licensed by Apple and others for Siri and other and, uh, and other programs many years later. Um, but But we had teams of linguists that had to listen to what you were saying, not to sell you ads, but to make the service better, because they would codify what wasn't getting caught by the voice recognition, by the speech recognition, right? That's how you did it. Now, about a year ago, this all came out about Google, about Apple, and about Amazon having people, banks of people in rooms listening to what you said. And I just laughed and said, I I invented that method. I hired linguists. I hired actual linguists to listen to you. And then codify. we gave them a language they could code in. You know, so you would say, we would expect you to say, read my email. And someone would say, get me my email. Oh, well, we got to code in, get me my email. I don't know what get me my email is, right? We have to tell the system what it is. That's still done today, right? Because you got to have some natural language understanding. And sometimes the system... It got the recognition right, but it doesn't know what to do with that sentence, right? Because it's kind of slaying. Uh, Give me my email. Where's my email? Well, I think all of those mean read my email, right? So we've got to codify that. So still there's banks of people in rooms listening to what you say. turns out they don't really care. They're just doing their job. But but again, your privacy was gone in 1995. The day the web browser came out and became popular, it was over. Had to be over. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm okay with that.
0: So it seems like, you know, it's interesting because you talk about 1995 and you can even go back earlier with, you know, the real beginnings of voice recognition. It feels like until recently, there hasn't really been that many huge innovations in AI. Like I feel, uh, you know, DeepMind, you know, Google with, with their DeepMind and AlphaGo program. That was, for me, it seemed like the first real innovation in a long time in in taking big data and, and converting it into actionable
1: activity using AI. Yeah, yeah, you, you're right. Uh, I think that I look at AI as augmented intelligence. And so if you say AI as artificial intelligence is more or less a marketing term, and you say, what we're really talking yes. about is machine learning from large data sets and finding things that would be hard for a human to grok because the data set's so large. Well then, and, and, and it can keep learning as more data comes in. And you can apply those learnings to the new data. And and so an example, obviously, is facial recognition at Facebook. You know, the first time they turned that on, and they were the obvious people to do it because they had billions and billions of pictures of faces and names attached to those faces, mostly correct. So you didn't have a very noisy database, but you had a huge database. And over some period of time, they could build a neural net that recognizes your face versus my face. Absolutely pretty much 100% of the time, better than 95% recognition. That's amazing, actually, when you think about it, right? Huge data problem, such a huge data problem that a human could not look at, you know, billions of faces and start calling out names. It's an impossible problem for our brain. So we look at that and say, well, that seems artificially intelligent. Well, no, it's a very, 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 very good data matcher, right, Very, very a very deep neural net, and it's going to make great decisions Based on every shadow in your face and your glasses and the hair and sort of everything else. But in the end, guys, it's just math. It's just math. All we're doing is trying to find the highest scoring thing that that we can match to. And by the way, if you if you take that same recognizer that recognizes faces and put a chair in there, it'll say, uh, Jim. You know, it doesn't it doesn't know a chair, right? It didn't learn a chair. It learned faces. It only knows faces. So this isn't artificially intelligent. We're getting into now where artificial intelligence is going, right? It isn't artificially intelligent like we see in the movies, uh, 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 like uh, like Ex Machina, which is an amazing film, or hers, an amazing film. Yeah. We are so far away, a, an AI system having a general understanding. I'll give you an so, example. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, well, no, related to that is I agree with you on the facial recognition. It's similar to voice recognition, but then you have something like a game like like Go or chess where – uh, the computer looked at you know a million games and a figured out the rules and within a few more hours was already the world champion of chess. Right. And then there's kind of a a hidden layer. So there's no hidden layer on the facial recognition. We're using a very standard thirty year old statistical technique and you know matching faces to what to a, a data set we know. But uh, with 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 Go and chess, it's sort of Doing several things, it's kind of figuring out the the metrics that are important. Like, it doesn't know in
1: advance what metrics are important. It sort of figures it out. It's a reward system, right? It's it's a reward system. But think about it this way: I give some examples in my talks of a reward system uh, that the 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 people at Unity shared with me, some games that they built to show how giving it no rules other than to win, it will figure out how to play the game better. And it does this by uh, by watching either watching many games or playing many games, depending on if it's a computer game or or an offline game, right? But either way, think of it this way. If you, tomorrow, could play, um, you know, Go or chess or checkers, it doesn't really matter, let's say it's chess, but you could play chess a million times in an hour. And remember, every move that took you further to winning, and every move that took you further away from winning, and what all the other circumstances—if your brain could do that within an hour, you'd be an amazing player because you could yes. score the outcome of those million things. And 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 if you could if you could play a game on a computer like an Atari game that we used to play or whatever, you know, a simple game that that just uh, 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 you know you have to eat, you know it's Pac Man or you have to eat the thing. You could very quickly outrun any human in that game simply by playing it about 10,000 times and, and a computer can play that in parallel 10,000 times maybe in 10 minutes or an hour or a few hours and this is a reward based system and These are very simple because all you're doing is giving the darn thing a reward when it wins and giving it no reward when it Loses and it doesn't want to lose. That's all it knows So it learns how to win no different. I'll give you an example of of the mouse we all know about the mouse in the lab and you put them in the maze, right? And and at first you ring the bell and the mouse just sits there going, you're an idiot, right? But over months and months and months of trial and error, it figures out that when you ring the bell, there's food in the upper right corner and it runs the maze, it goes and gets the food, it comes back so that the bell can ring again. It learns this. Now what's fascinating about that is it tried 10,000 times, but after a while it figured out exactly which route to take to get the food every time. Now put a second mouse in there. The second mouse watches that first mouse every time the bell rings, goes and gets the food, and thinks the first mouse is artificially intelligent because clearly it's got a much bigger brain than the second mouse that can't, doesn't even know what the bell means, let alone where to find the food. We are the second mouse. The first mouse is no smarter than we are, right? In fact, it's totally dumb. It just had thousands of tries at it, and it could remember every try.
0: Well, well, right now though, like particularly with these game examples, there's three mice. There's the, the initial data set. Okay, there's humans looking with wonder. And there's now the ability to scale the data set because the, the AI will play itself to create more data. Yeah. So like with facial recognition, I can't create more variations. So actually, this is an interesting thing. I can take a picture of your face and now with, with AI, I don't have to see other pictures of you. I can create other configurations that are probably your face, and that and add to my data set. So I think AI is also being applied to its own data to
1: to generate more Absolutely. data set to learn from. Absolutely. In games, that's true. Uh, it can be done in facial recognition. Um, I, 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 you know, everybody's seen what's happening in deep fakes. I think a, a great use of this technology. The whole the, sort of the whole planet is seeing is the, is the Netflix film, right? Um, the, did you see uh, uh, The Irishman? Oh, no, I didn't see it. But I mean, the reverse aging, the de-aging. The, the de-aging. Now, it's a little freaky because you go, that isn't exactly what they looked like when they were 20, because I knew what they looked like when they were 20. And Scorsese, didn't. he wanted them to look the way he wanted them to look, right? But the fact of the matter is, um, aside from the fact they walk like old men, <laughs> no matter what you do, uh, it is fascinating how good that deepfake technology has gotten. Yeah, you know, and particularly so- they they make they 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 make the colostomy bags disappear also on the film. Yes, so exactly. you know, you take them right out, <laughs> uh, get them out of the wheelchair. No, it is fascinating uh, uh, what we're doing, and and of course that can be done in a number of AI uh, uh, methods today. Um, Gans, of course, uh, general adversarial network great way to, uh, to to basically now make up people that didn't exist at all, um, simply by comparing the forgery to to real things and saying, I still think it's a forgery. And you keep getting better and better. Again, that's a reward system, right? The system just wants yeah. to get better and get a better reward until until they fooled again, right? Uh, uh, so it, it, it's a, uh, the inspector sort of. So it's really fascinating what we're able to do. That said, most of what we just talked about is fun and fancy, it's interesting for games, didn't change too many people's lives. Didn't change people's lives. So
0: what do you think, what's the the next thing coming up that either you're worried
1: about or that will change people's lives? So, um, look, Elon is, and and some people are really worried about AI taking over the world and, you know, they're going to be our overlords, et cetera, et cetera. I I don't see that probably in our lifetime. And, and, And the reason is, as always with these technologies, remember, in AI in the 60s and 70s, we made huge leaps, and then we made none. And then in the 90s, we made some leaps, and then we made none. And then finally, around 2012, we got neural nets to work, deeper neural nets, right? And all of a sudden, that math was out of the bag. And then we made big leaps again, and then it flattens out. <clears throat> and, and, um, and what happens is, in all these technologies, is we far overestimate the short-term impact, but we underestimate the long-term impact. Hmm. So again with AI we have two two three years ago when people were saying AI is about to take over the world neural nets are the thing you know it's it's over um, we overestimated the impact within a three year time frame because the impact actually wasn't that much i mean it's interesting to you and i technically and some of your listeners technically that yeah we can we can blow away go now that's that's amazing so you know <laughs> it's like it didn't change anyone's life right unless you're a professional go player
0: um, All right so but let, let let's take the one game that they haven't beat like how would you go about uh cuz i get it like a go board or a chess board is just essentially a vector of attributes and boom but how would you how would you uh take a game like poker that has a lot of hidden information and there's this human component uh uh there's no world there's no computer that is a world champion poker
1: player well i think that's within grasp yeah, that's a complicated issue. So it depends on who you're playing, right? A, a real poker player, look, look at what poker is. Poker is, did you get the right cards, first of all? I mean, that's just luck of the draw. And there is luck of the draw. Um, right. uh, and, and that's just part of the game. That's different than go, and that's different than, than, than chess. It's different than checkers, right? It's luck of the draw. So that's the first problem. The second problem is, the rest of it is human emotion inference. And people learning to read people's faces, and people learning how to hide that, Can we teach a computer to read your face and over time guess whether you're bluffing or not? So the answer is absolutely yes if you kept the same people around the table and they played 500 games. That's enough data to read all the faces to ultimately then figure out who did win, who was bluffing, who wasn't bluffing, right? Totally doable. But if you changed up the people and you got someone who did not give the same facial expressions, uh, and maybe didn't give any hint at all. You know, who knows? Their hints are different, right? Maybe they get fussy. Maybe they drink more. Maybe whatever. Uh, now, once you change the person, we may not be able to win the game again until we watch that person play hundreds of times. Then we can win the game. Unless
0: the AI discovers uh, there's subtle micro expressions
1: that, that can't be controlled. That It could be. We don't know, right? I mean, I don't know. Even professional poker players don't know. Uh, what what those are. But professional, you know, really good poker players still lose. They just win more than they lose. And they and I think they do that partially because they get used to watching the tells on this player, right? They, yeah. they, the eyes get bigger, they get smaller, and they start to memorize a bunch of things that person did, watch them win or lose a few times, or watch them bluff a few times, and then finally go, I can read their bluff because that's the trick to the game. The trick to the game is reading one's face, or yeah. or that they drink more. You know, they you're bluffing. And you always order tea. I don't know, right? But so yes, AI could do that, but but no better than uh um well no better than a human can do. Provided it's the same set of people. If you never change the people, they will figure out things. You know, a human might go and scratch his leg, doesn't even know he scratches his leg, right? But he does it every time he's bluffing and he's holding the hand that's no good. So. Um, yeah, we could apply AI there for, for sure. So it seems like like
0: 90% of the development in AI since the 1980s has just been increased processing speed of computers. So using roughly the same techniques, like, yes, we'll improve neural, we'll throw some more layers onto the neural networks, we'll play around with the statistics a little. But it's basically just we can now handle big data. And right. maybe there might be an innovation if you can use AI to increase your data set uh, in interesting ways, like, you know, imagine you have data about self-driving. Now you start to imagine scenarios where the same car makes a left turn, and you have to kind of simulate that first with AI to create the data set. That seems interesting to me. but what what else? what could be that seems incremental. So
1: what seems like a big? well, well change? yeah, so the big change that everybody wants to figure out <clears throat> yet yeah, there is no breakthrough in sight because I think we just don't understand it is. If you really want artificial intelligence, it isn't about processing big data. It's about two things. General knowledge, which we're not good at. Remember, what we're doing today in AI is very vertical. You notice we right. about we're we going to teach an AI algorithm to play this game. Okay? That AI algorithm can't recognize a dog that's sitting next right. to it, doesn't know if the dog pooped on it, has no clue, but it does know how to play Go brilliantly, but it's all it does just like facial recognition systems can't recognize a chair. Why? It's not what they do. They do facial recognition. They're very attuned to that. So professionals have been working on very, very vertical, business-oriented kinds of things, facial recognition, speech recognition, translation. Um, You know, driving has turned out, you know, driverless vehicles, it turned out to be a huge problem. Um, uh, You know, with every neural net we've got thrown at this, with everyone at Google, with 15 years experience on the road now the problem is the following there may be an unlimited number of unusual events because if we had to drive on a track and there were no humans allowed on the track we could have done that 30 years ago with virtually you know with barely a vision recognition system in fact vision recognition something that can recognize a white line we could do that and 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 by the way John Deere has had driverless tractors for the better part of a decade because they're in farm fields and they can mark the boundaries of the farm field. and The thing just goes up and down. As long as no one gets in front of it, it does its thing, right? Tractor does its thing. Totally doable, by the way. But when you put cars on the road, you get an unlimited number of unusual events. And so you see something in front of you through a vision system or a LIDAR and you don't know the system, because it's never seen it before, doesn't actually know how to respond. Is it a shadow? Is it something that's happening in the rain or the wind? Is it leaves just blowing by and they're gone? Now, we as humans have something unique. We have uh, literally our, you know, if you're 50 years old, you've got 50 years of taking information into your eyes. And you know, you can just recognize that thing looks solid. I better stop. Or it is solid. It's solid but it's a bag and i can run over it now think about that right you see a bag but it's kind of blowing in the wind you know it's not full of rocks and just run over it it's fine might get caught under the car it's not going to hurt anyone right but an ai system goes i don't know what that is in fact it might be a curled up baby it's it's stop you you remember when we were kids we'd look up at the clouds and parents would say oh what does that look like oh it looks like a dinosaur it looks like this it looks like that well you know (laughs) The thing looks like a dinosaur it's to the to the, to, to, to the AI system and it might be a dinosaur it doesn't know right it, it's and then you got unknown things you know you got yes it's granny crossing the road but but now you got you know granny on a on a on on a on a unicycle and I've never seen a unicycle before what do I do with that do I stop do I run it over so the unlimited events problem is a real problem for AI uh, it's a it's it's a super problem for AI. But but
0: they have been driving they have been driving on highways, right? And there hasn't been major
1: issues. Highways think are fine is- because very little happens there. It's the street right. in the city where you get an unlimited of set of crazy events going on, right?
0: So so so, I mean, potentially you could just say, okay, legal on highways, and then last mile, we need FedEx or whatever to to meet your trucks. But what do you think of Andrew Yang's predictions about? you know, you know, the elimination of millions of truck drivers
1: because highway driving is is solved. Highway driving is nearly solved. Well, look, uh, first of all, there's a shortage of 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 uh, long distance uh, uh, truck drivers in the United States by the tune of 20 to 30 percent. That is, we really need 20 to 30 percent more than we have. So the first thing that will go is to close the gap on the shortage. That's number one. You can't not everything will be driverless on day one. But, but I think we will start to close that gap in long-distance driving, and then the truck will stop at a stop, and a human will get in and do the last X miles, right? I think that's going to happen. And then right after that, just to be competitive, you have to do the rest of it because a long-haul trucking across the country is, let's call it five or $6,000 to take a, <clears throat> a, you know, a 40-foot truck across the country. It's just what it is today. That's what it costs. Most of that is labor followed by gasoline, followed by write-off of the vehicle, right? that Those are the three things. And and so you've got to get labor out of it to take the $6,000 down to, say, $4,000 or $3,000. That's how you're going to do it. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way you've got to do it. So that labor is going to come out in the next five or six or seven years, and that will displace truck drivers, no question. But let's talk about – I'm going to jump from that for a second because we're talking about jobs. There is going to be job loss, Uh, in uh, in the world, certainly in the United States, from AI in the next decade. But it's not going to hit us as bad as it's going to hit other countries. And let me tell you my theory on why. Because over the last 20 years, the US, and much of the West, the US specifically, has shed its lowest end uh, mundane tasks to India, China, Mexico, some other countries. And we did so because we could hire people over there to do the mundane tasks at under $1 an hour, when here they were $10 to $15 an hour. We've had 20 years of shedding as many mundane tasks as could practically be shed, right? That includes customer support. Look, you call your bank, I don't care who you call, they answer in India. It's not right or wrong. They do because it's a dollar an hour versus. You know, whatever, it would have been $20 an hour here, right? That's the fact of the matter. So who's going to get hurt the worst in the first decade? China and India uh, and and maybe Mexico. Why? Because it's factory work and it's customer support and it's software QA and it's all of these mundane tasks that can be automated with AI at the earliest level, right? We're seeing RPA companies like Automation Anywhere automate out customer support now. For 80% of the calls, not 100, but those 80%. And the, it's the 80% that were sh- sent to India. We, we got, Microsoft got rid of those 20 years ago.
0: So what happened, what happened to job loss then? Like, Did we, the economy <clears throat> suffer? Like, I don't recall it suffering then. Like, that's why no, I wonder
1: how much of this is fear-mongering. It's fear-mongering. And for now, it's fear-mongering. And the reason is, so for the next decade, most of the jobs that will be lost to AI are offshore already. We sent them offshore. And so they're the easiest to automate. And the first things you automate are the ones that are the easiest. Not not because they're the most expensive, they're just the easiest. Like to automate like hard.
0: White, what about like middle management or white collar type jobs or
1: you you know, know, radiologists, lawyers? Sure, 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 sure. So there will be some things. Like radiologists are first going to be augmented by AI. That's already happening. You can send... Um, uh, you can send uh, uh, a lot of this, uh, uh, these pictures and these uh, images to the cloud, and the cloud will do a better analysis than the radiologist. But the FDA doesn't allow a system to diagnose today under any circumstances. So the system can only report to the person who will review those, those, the, that data and diagnose. I'll give you a, 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 an example. Um, one of the uh, heart monitor uh, uh, companies that sends you a little heart monitor your home, it replaced the halter monitor. Um, they took all of their data from 53,000 patients and, uh, developed a, a, a neural net around it to try to identify, uh, specific anomalies in the, in the, in the heartbeat, right. In the EKG. And, um, they ended up identifying 12 different ones that ended up, uh, being more accurate than 12 of the best cardiologists in a room arguing whether that person has this arrhythmia or not, right. The AI is already better than they are. However, the FDA will never allow the AI to diagnose directly to you, not in the next decade. It's going to go to the cardiologist, and the cardiologist will look at it and decide if he or she agrees with it, and then give you your diagnosis. And that's the FDA stand on this right now, for a lot of reasons, including the doctors have said, that, you know, I'm not going to be replaced by some artificially intelligent thing, but it's fine if it augments my work because I don't have any time during the day anyway and they haven't read a peer-reviewed paper in God knows how many years, right? So, um, so you, want, you want your doctor augmented by AI. You want them to take your symptoms, put them in a computer, and there's already these systems now where they put them in a computer. The computer comes back and says, run these five tests, three of them they might not have thought of, and they turn to you and say, let's run these five tests. That's fine. The computer augmented their work. So doctors aren't going to go away 10, 20 years. Lawyers aren't going to go away. But but lawyers are already doing NDAs with AI now. Why why do I want to review an NDA? It's the most mundane, stupid thing. You're paying me $350 to review an NDA. Uh, the machine can do it for a dollar. They don't want to do it anyway. So the mundane tasks are getting done. Lastly, this country, right or wrong, I'm not, not making a political statement here, is at pretty much full employment. And I know there's arguments about People doing two jobs and their lousy jobs and this and that, but but all up, you know, we're three and a half percent unemployment, which means there's more demand and, in fact, there's more job openings out there in a variety of fields than there than there have ever been. Uh, right, and like the re- the reality
0: is, like if you took a hundred people, would you say ninety-seven and a half of them deserve to be employed?
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> part of the problem right now. <laughs> right, that, that 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 that's exactly right. But but they are employed, and that's because we've really got full employment. We've got the best employment picture this country has had essentially since record keeping right and again it's not even a political statement just is and 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 so and so that means that as those truck jobs go away as you lose a million truckers yes they may not be driving a truck long distance but they may be driving more of them locally because more of them are coming in right it lowers the cost of transportation across the country do you know what that does lower consumer prices do you know what that does spur demand you know what that does improve the economy Whenever you lower costs, the economy goes up, more money circulates around, and there's more jobs. Now, their job might be in a factory. Their job might be in local deliveries. Their job might be in something else. I don't know. Might not be driving a long-distance truck. Just as we used to have many more people in agriculture, you know, 90% of the country was in ag, and today it's 1%. And yet that 1% feeds the entire country and then some. Why? Well, because we got machines. And employment didn't go down. It's gone up. Why? It brought the essentially the net cost of food way down. You know, how is it that you can go to the store and buy an ear of corn for 20 cents? 20 cents. There's got to be 20 cents of water in that corn. How how do you do it? Well, you do it because, you know, it's a lot of machines and a a, a lot of yield. We've learned how to yield the crops better. You know, everything has worked better, right? So I think that's going to happen here, too. I'm not worried about it for the next 10 to 20 years. So I feel like like there's
0: sort of three conclusions here. First, we're screwed because North Korea is going to make... You use AI, big data, and CRISPR to make the worst, you know, pandemic in the world, and there's no way to, there's no way to really
1: avoid that. How how does North Korea get the technical resources to do that? Like, how do they get educated to do that? You know, the problem. I don't want to say the problem is. Look, much of that work was not done by governments. It it was done by academia, and they publish their peer-reviewed papers, and they publish exactly how to repeat it because they want their experiment repeated. That's part of the whole. Goal of scientists, right? Please repeat my experiment to validate that it works for you and your lab if you follow all these steps. The steps are out there. And that's the problem. I don't want to say it's a problem. It's one of the wonderful things about academic research is it's shared worldwide. One of the negative things about academic research is shared worldwide. So everyone who has a reasonable lab can execute what the academics have done. No question. So, so, so that's on the bad side. <laughs> Second is more the second conclusion is
0: more neutral, which is as we were saying, and as we've even discussed before, over the past 30 35 years, maybe there's been incremental improvements in AI, but the big advantage it seems has been computers have gotten a lot faster. So, whatever analysis you've been doing on big data before is 20 million times faster than it was
1: 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 million times faster and better, and we're finding more things, we're finding more. Uh, 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 connections between the data and what's happening in the future. I mean, I mean look, as you know, at AppVance, we're using AI to uh, automatically test software. And it doesn't completely eliminate the humans, but it changes their task from, I have to test or write scripts to, I'm going to let the machine find the bugs for me. And frankly, the machine is way better at finding bugs than 200 humans are, no, no question. But are you finding
0: now the, the companies that are your clients, they're not firing QA people. They're just being, they're making, they have time now to make more applications and make more profits for yeah, the company. Yeah, it, it
1: turns out that's exactly right. They're not firing their QA people. What they're doing instead is, is, is saying, um, let's, when, when we get this barrage of bugs, now let's prioritize them. Let's work on, let's work on developing more test data to put into the system, right? Let's analyze it more. And by the way, let's increase the coverage. So I'll give you an example. Very, very typical. We'll have a client of of AppVance that says, I've got 100 people in QA, let's say, on this big application. And um, we've been doing a release every four weeks. We now want to make it once a day, from four weeks to once a day. And we want to go from 20% code coverage to 100% code coverage. Okay, let's do the multiplication. From four weeks to one day is about, call it 20x improvement in productivity you would need, right? Got to go 22x, right? 22, 22 workdays in a month. So, so 20, let's call it 20x improvement in productivity to do that with the same team. If you just left the team, well, how are you going to make them 20 times more productive? But actually it's more than that because now I want to go from 20% code coverage to 100%. So it's 20 times five of that. I now have to be a hundred times more productive as a team to meet management's goal of four weeks down to one day and 20% out to 100% coverage. I've got to be 100 times more productive. So either I'm going from 100 people to 10,000, that's one way to do it, I guess, right? 100 to 10,000 people. Or I had better get AI to augment my 100-person team to make each person worth 100 people. And that's what we're doing. We're using AI to augment what they're doing to make each person a hundred times more productive than they were before. And that gets used by shortening the cycle time and increasing the coverage that is finding more bugs. And so you actually need the same size team to meet that. Right. So so, so this
0: leads to the third conclusion, which is that all the, the theories that, quote unquote, this time things are different because middle-class jobs are, are being, you know, outsourced to AI is is overblown because of all the historical, we've been through this before, historically, many times.
1: Yeah, look, there, there is a time in the future, and I'm going to say 100 years, right? It's It's further out than everybody thinks, where virtually every job we could possibly imagine probably can be done better, you know, by a machine, including jobs that require Uh, high eq right and and in ai today we're not talking about high eq we've got essentially high iq down one little pathway um uh, again processing big data and, and making judgment calls as new data comes in great they're good at that but 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 that's about it so so we're a very very long way from having empathy real empathy not programmed empathy but real empathy in fact you know, all the people working in the labs on this, and even in academia, when you talk to the scientists about real empathy, they, they really look at you and go, you know, you're kind of crazy, right? We have no clue. We don't know how humans have empathy. We don't even know why. Yeah, no, I, I worked on these types of problems when I was in graduate school for computer science and AI, right. and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We have- Since, we since 1989. Have, right. We have no idea how to have empathy other than to program it so that when you ask- uh, you ask Alexa to marry you, she says, Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a disembodied, you know, whatever, <laughs> right? I mean, it's cute, but that's just a programmatic response. We had that at General Magic with Portico in the 90s, which was the first virtual assistant. We had great programmatic responses that made people laugh. But after three or four of them, you'd realize it would recycle, right? They'd cycle back around, and it was the same three or four that were programmed in. It's not true empathy. So, how do we get empathy? Well, we don't even understand why humans have empathy. And humans have empathy. Because at some point in our history, we had to survive, and that and, – and it took empathy to survive somehow, right? To keep – probably to keep the, the, the group of people around you, and having that group gave you a higher chance of survival, and and we're the offshoot of that, right? I, I, well,
0: I wonder if you can pose uh, things like this, though, as a big data problem. Like, let's say you have a, a, a million transcripts between therapists and their patients – and you just pattern match now. I go into to an AI therapist, and I ask a question that's been asked before, or a similar questions been asked before, and here's the therapist's response, and you know, or here's a couple therapist responses, and I'm allowed to respond to any of them. And you know, that could be, uh, uh, again, it's not real empathy. It's it's again what we've been talking about with just pattern matching. But that's a a fake solution to to that's a real not, problem. Oh, yeah, but
1: all you would have done is program a psychologist, <laughs> right? Right. Not someone you actually want to live with. (laughs) Right. But but true empathy is when something happens in your life, James, and your partner goes, looks at you, and starts to tear up and says, I really, really feel for you. What can we do? Can I make you dinner? Can it can we watch a movie tonight? What can I do to help you feel better? And you go, Wow, that's you know, that's a whole shared empathy thing that's real. Like it's real. And and it turns out that's very important for humans. And it's very important in our work. You know, when we talk about going to work or doing our work or whatever it is, a lot of it is the interaction we have with other people. A lot of the reason we go every day is we love that interaction, right? We like the interaction, we like whatever it is, right? If you don't like the people, I don't know why you go. So, so part of that is that part of it is a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose. A machine has no sense of purpose. It just executes its code, right? So there's we, we are, this is what I'm trying to say. We're so far away Just like you worked on this in 89, and I worked on it in 98, 99, and people have been working on it since then. And no matter how big and deep and smart we make these systems, we don't understand how to model empathy because we don't even know why we're empathetic other than we did it to survive.
0: So so really, the only thing I get worried about is that, again, processing speeds get faster and faster, maybe some techniques improve, and we find more interesting data sets now because the processing can handle it, more more interesting data sets that are dangerous. So for instance, the human genome and looking at permutations of genes instead of single gene mutations, that's potentially helpful, but also potentially Absolutely. dangerous. And, and maybe there's data sets that are bigger, that are more complicated right now that we can't solve, that are, you know, even more dangerous. I don't know.
1: There there are always dangerous data sets, right? There are things we're going to learn from from large sets of data that I suspect the U.S. government is already doing right um, that, uh, you know, that, that you might be able to learn from huge sets of genomic data how to how to really create something that will wipe out all life on Earth. I mean, it's not an impossibility that you could develop a virus, a bacteria or something that would literally invade everything, every plant, every human, everything it would wipe out life on Earth. That's possible. It's not crazy. Right. <clears throat> you could you you could certainly look at data sets on, uh, you know, on the ocean and say, you know, uh, what could we do to reach a tipping point? I mean, maybe we're going to do that with climate change anyway, the way things are going and, and, and wipe us all out. But but you're right. There's dangerous data sets for sure. Um, there's 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 danger in, in cybersecurity because people are using A.I. to hack cybersecurity and then people are using A.I. on the other side of it to kind of keep the A.I. out, A.I. battling A.I., uh we're seeing all those things happen Uh, but i think most people today that i talk about with ai say how's it going to impact my life what do i need to know when's it going to impact my life yeah i've seen facial recognition and i've seen some cute stuff in movies and i you know other than that i you know i don't have a robot in the kitchen that cooks yet i don't have a simple robot that only has to do one function cook me a meal that's actually a very valuable task cook and clean like cook and clean in a house Someone's got a real robot that really does that, even though it's not empathetic. That's a powerful idea. But people have tried. There are lots of cooking robots that people have toyed with, but but they end up getting back down to basic, basic machinery and basic storage of of certain things in a refrigerated section. You know, certain ingredients have to be there, and 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 then there's just an oven thing, so it has to be cooked in that. I mean, it's 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 a robot that we could have probably built 30 years ago, right? It's just not that smart, actually. It's not that interesting. Yeah. And it's very, very expensive. Well, that's not interesting. What I want is a $1,000 robot that cooks and cleans. And everybody wants that. that. That's a market, by the way. We go build that. It turns out it's really hard. It's really, really hard to replicate all the little things that we do around the house. Think about cleaning in places that are hard to reach or cleaning window cells, or cleaning things where you have to li- lift the blinds and then clean and put it down or, or taking some books out and clean. And you go, this is, re-. people ask me, what's the last job that'll ever be replaced by AI? I say a plumber and an HVAC repairman, repair person. That's funny. And, and right. Andrew Yang also
0: agrees with that too. Like this is where we're full circle where here he might be correct. Yeah,
1: yeah, he is correct. Uh, because every house is different. Every plumbing problem is different. Where the pipes are is different. It would be so expensive. To to create a robot and, it, and the database would be full of so much noise that it, that it's it's an impossible problem to solve. Yet you can send a human in who is a, a, you know a plumber or an HVAC repair person, and if they're any good, they will eventually find the problem. They will eventually fix it, and they'll charge you you know a couple hundred dollars to do so. Well, for a couple hundred dollars, it's way cheaper to have those people do that work than it will ever be in our lifetime to build a robot that would come to your house and fix your plumbing. Never going to happen. It's it's too complicated. It's too com- it's just plumbing, and it's too complicated. That should you know level set everyone listening to this. Plumbing is too complicated for a robot. So what what do you think we're gonna do? <laughs> you know. Well, uh, Kevin Sarace, this
0: has a bit been enlightening, uh, informative, particularly on the economic stuff. is really fascinating and scary on the pandemic stuff. Although the flip side of that is that AI will get better at drug discovery too for cures for any AI developed diseases as well. So it balances out. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, giving us the the state of the
1: world in in AI this year. Yeah. Great, uh, great conversation. We could talk for hours. I'm sure we'll do it again, but uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you bet.